So the reading today is from Romans 13, verses 8 to 14, which if you use in the Church Bibles is on page 1140. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the word of with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you here this morning. I want to start by looking back, I think 18 years, something like that. Um, Some friends who used to live in Birmingham and used to come along occasionally to City Church came back up to visit us. They drove up from London early in the morning and they arrived in good time at about 20 past 10. And when they got here in the school we used to meet in, they found us uh, drinking coffee and eating biscuits. And they, they joined in and then they checked their watches, 10.45. So they asked someone, I think it was Neil, they said, listen, Neil, you know, shouldn't you have started the service by now? And Neil said, what do you mean the service was over long ago? It was the last Sunday in March, and they'd remembered to move their watches, but instead of putting them an hour forward, they put them an hour back. So they were two hours late. They'd missed the boat because they didn't know what time it was. As far as I'm aware, there's only one person who came an hour early this morning, and I arrived, and they were looking for the Sunday school, and anyway... Sometimes in the morning, <clears throat> sometimes in the mornings, I listen to the Today program on Radio 4, and one of the useful things they do is they give you a time check every now and then. And one, one Monday morning, the presenter, John Humphreys, announced it was 6.30 a.m., but actually it was 7.30 a.m., and he got a torrent of angry letters and emails from people who'd been late for work and missed important appointments because they hadn't known what time it was. Now, as we come to this part of the letter to the Romans, Paul wants to be sure that we know what time it is. He gives us a sort of time check. In verse 11, he says we need to understand the present time. To understand the present time. Ever since Jesus' birth and death and resurrection and ascension, we've been living in what the Bible calls the last days of world history. So what time is it? We're living in the time of overlap between two eras. Here we are living in this world, but actually we belong to the world to come. We're still subject to the rulers and authorities in this world. We were looking at that last Sunday morning, if you were here. 
but we're already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So what time is it? Well, Paul tells us it's dawn. Verse 12, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. It's daybreak. The world is still in darkness, but for Christians, for Christians, the day is already beginning. And, and Paul says, recognize that and live accordingly. In, in verses 6 and 7, which we looked at last Sunday, Paul was talking about taxes and, and revenues that we pay to the government. And now he says in verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding. Hopefully you can settle your debts and pay your taxes and so on. But Paul says, here's one debt that can never be cleared. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That's an obligation we can never fully discharge. And Paul calls it a continuing debt. Love one another, he says. That's the main message here. Love one another. And then Paul says, going on in verse 8, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And maybe we sort of think, law and love, what, what has love got to do with law? Well, well, everything. Paul, Paul lists some of the Ten Commandments as he goes on. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. It's all about how we relate to each other. And Paul says all this is summed up in one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself by not taking their husband or wife, not taking their life, not taking their possessions. Love them, and that's fulfilling the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when Paul says the commands of the law are all summed up in this one, the word summed up is a word that was often used in Greek literature for the conclusion at the end of a book or a speech. So you read the whole thing, what did it all mean? Well, here's the takeaway message. Love one another. So the law of love is the, is the conclusion. It's the bottom line. It's where the law was always going. And Paul, of course, is, is quoting from the Old Testament law. So we read in Leviticus, do not seek a, a revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself I am the Lord. Well, while the Old Testament law focuses largely on outward things, on murder and the stealing and adultery and so on, in fact, all the time it was looking forward to this, this, this much more radical command to love. This always was the goal of the law. And that's why Paul says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Speaking in the upper room the night before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples this, a new command I give you, love one another. And maybe we sort of think, well, what's new about that? I mean, isn't that just what God had always been telling people? But Jesus went further. He said, as I have loved you, you must love one another. So how has Jesus loved us? Well, he's told us greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus alone 
perfectly fulfilled the law of love by dying on the cross for us, by paying the penalty that we deserve for our rebellion against God. Jesus brought the law to completion. And now Jesus tells us that's how we must love too. And I wonder, how does that make you feel? That the Jews spent the 1,500 years between Moses giving the law and Jesus coming, they spent all that time trying to keep God's law, and all they managed to do was demonstrate that they simply couldn't do it. So what makes us think we can do any better? Well, here's why it's so important to know what time it is. We're living after Pentecost. We're living after the Holy Spirit came. God showed the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel something of what was going to happen. Looking forward five centuries to the day of Pentecost, here's what God told Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what happened at Pentecost. What time is it now? It's after Pentecost. It's the last days of history. This prophecy is being fulfilled in us as Christians. We do have a new heart. And we do have the Holy Spirit living in us, renewing us, changing us, restoring us. Now, the Ten Commandments said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you cannot steal. Obviously, meaning don't do these things. But you can read the commandments like this. You shall not murder, not after Pentecost, you won't. You shan't commit adultery, not not once you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You shall not steal, not any longer, not once you're born again. You shouldn't be doing these things. Jesus Jesus fulfilled the law of love, and as Christians, we're to do the same. And Paul says it a number of times. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love one another. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we read in Romans 12, love must be sincere. And we saw that the sort of love Paul was talking about wasn't just a warm feeling towards other people. It was agape. It was the love which wants the best for the person loved. Loved, actively seeking out the good for the person loved. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, of course we love ourselves, but we're to dismantle the idolatry of self-love, self-centeredness, and put others first. The greatest enemy of real love is self-love. I can't remember who said that, but it's right, isn't it? The greatest enemy of real love is self-love. Our natural inclination is to look at every situation and every circumstance and ask, how is this going to affect me? And what is this going to mean for my comfort and my bank balance or my popularity or my satisfaction? And maybe we need to ask ourselves some some hard questions about our relationships in church in the first instance. This is what Paul is talking about. Are we here to serve each other? Or would we rather just be served? It's easy to distort Christianity It's easy to live as if the sole purpose of being a Christian is to make my life a happier one. 
That means Christianity is a means to an end. What has been called therapeutic Christianity. It's possible to come to church with an attitude which asks, how are God and this community going to help me in my pursuit of self-fulfillment? And the pattern that Jesus sets out for us, that, that Paul is talking about here, looks very different. Not self-fulfillment, but fulfilling the law of love. Love one another as I have loved you, said Jesus. And where did Jesus' love for you and me take him? It led him to mocking and persecution, led him to a corrupt trial, led him to weep on his own in Gethsemane, ended up with him hanging on a cross. And quite honestly, I have to say that makes me feel ashamed. Love your neighbor as yourself? I, I, I don't think I do. I think I've hardly started. What about you? Living the Christian life doesn't start with, with running overseas as a missionary. It starts with loving other believers right here and now in Birmingham today. Think of the visitor who comes on a Sunday and stands alone after the service as we chat to our friends. How would I feel if that was me? Love your neighbor as yourself. Think of the person in the congregation who is, is depressed or lonely. And we express concern, but then we're, we're too busy to spend time with them during the week. What, what if that was you? Love your neighbor as yourself. Think of the person who becomes a Christian. Are they just another statistic for us to celebrate? Or, or do we really welcome them into the church family and, and take them under our wing and welcome them into our homes? Is that what people did for you when you were saved? Love your neighbor as yourself. When the Apostle John became so old and weak that he could no longer be, be preaching, he used to be carried into the congregation in the church at Ephesus, and he content himself with a simple word of exhortation. And he'd always say the same thing. Little children, he'd say, little children love one another. When he could say nothing else, that was the priority. That was the most important thing for God's people to hear. Love one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, we can never love others perfectly. We can never say, that's it, I love every other believer with a love just like Jesus' love sorted. Of course we can't. This debt always remains outstanding. And it's so easy to lose sight of that. It's so easy to say, well, I preach sermons, that's enough. I lead home group, that's enough. I play music in church. I teach Sunday school. I move chairs. I lead a student plus group. Listen to Paul writing to the Corinthians. Paul says, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, 
I gain nothing. Fulfill the law of love. Love one another, says Paul. And do this understanding the present time. Because Paul says there's an urgency about this. Verse 11, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. We need to know what time it is. The the word Paul uses for a time means an opportunity, a special occasion. We're living in the end times. When Jesus came to this earth as Savior 2,000 years ago, that's when God started the process of wrapping up world history. And Jesus is going to return as our judge at any moment. There's a rebuke here, I think, too, isn't there? Wake up, says Paul. Don't you know? Don't you realize what time it is? Wake up from your slumbers. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed he says. So we need to be asking ourselves this morning, perhaps, are we sleepy Christians? Is is City Church a sleepy church? Paul isn't asking if you have difficulty getting out of bed in the morning. That's a different issue. Paul is talking about people who get saved. They move from darkness to light, from night to day, and then they somehow sort of press the snooze button and close their eyes again, almost as if nothing had happened. Are you still in your, in your spiritual pajamas when you should have your clothes on? Verse 12, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Get up, says Paul, get dressed and live in the light. Live in the light. Once you become a Christian, everything has to change. The night, verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. If you have an exam or a job interview, you set your alarm clock to be sure you're there in time, right? If you have a plane to catch, you make sure you leave time to get to the airport and check in. Now, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But we do know this, says Paul, it's nearer today than it was yesterday. And it's nearer now than it was the day you got saved and became a Christian. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now listen, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, which we covered in two or three chunks over the last couple of years, in the first 11 chapters, Paul gave us an extended exposition of Christian doctrine. And then we arrived a number of weeks ago at chapter 12, verse 1, and we found Paul saying, therefore, and the rest of the letter is how you put Christian doctrine into practice. Now, we place great importance in teaching the Bible here at City, and it's right that we do that. But let's take great care that we're not learning doctrine for its own sake. Theological knowledge is not an end in itself. Doctrine is a complete waste of time if it isn't changing our lives. I read about a philosophy student who was asked, which is worse, ignorance or apathy? And he answered, I don't know and I don't care. It should concern us to think that we might be found knowing 
but not caring. Doctrinally correct, but failing to put our knowledge into practice. Sort of spiritual tadpoles, all head and no body. It's possible for a church to be sound in doctrine and sound asleep in some of the things that really matter. So Paul says in verse 11, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Again and again in the Bible, light is a picture of good and darkness, dance or evil. So we read in John's gospel, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Christians are people of the light living in a dark world. We're day people in a world where it's still night. We're to be up and dressed while others are sound asleep. Live in the light, says Paul. Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And you know, put aside, it's a word the Jews used for someone eh, who was being put out of the synagogue for some public sin. And Paul is saying, kick out of your life the things that belong to the old world of darkness. These things don't belong in your Christian life. That's not how Christians live. Don't give them house room. Just, just excommunicate them. Is that going to be easy? Well, no, it's not. Paul describes it in terms of a battle. Put on the armor of light, he says. So the Christian life is a, a life of struggle against sin, a spiritual battle. God has given us the Bible and prayer and the Holy Spirit to arm us for the battle, the armor of light. And to neglect these things is to stay in the darkness, to prefer the night. It's at night that most wickedness gets done. It's at night that most people get drunk, if they're going to. It's at night that people sleep around. These things are done in the dark. They're done in secret. And in, in verse 13, Paul gives us some examples of the deeds of darkness. Carousing and drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, and jealousy. And did you notice it's not just flagrant immorality. Paul includes dissension, being argumentative, and jealousy, scoring points off each other. So are there things in your life that you wouldn't want other Christians to know about? Things you do or say or think? Deeds of darkness? There's a song in that musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber, The Phantom of the Opera, song called The Music of the Night, and it has these words. Close your eyes, for your eyes will only tell the truth, and the truth isn't what you want to see. In the dark, it is easy to pretend that the truth is what it ought to be, what you'd like it to be. So Paul says, verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime. Christian, you don't belong to the night, you belong to the day. You don't belong in the darkness, so live in the light. 
Don't have anything in your life which you feel you have to hide from other people in the Christian family. Don't have anything in your life which you wouldn't be happy to be public when the Lord Jesus returns. And look what Paul says we should do. Verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your children of the day so dress accordingly. You know a, a nurse in the hospital because she wears a uniform. You know a plumber, he wears a boiler suit. You know a student because they wear jeans with holes in them. How do you know a Christian? You know a Christian because they wear the Lord Jesus Christ. They're united with Jesus, and you can see that. You can see it in how they live and how they speak and everything about them. They aren't skulking in the shadows, trying to keep one foot in the dark and one foot in the light. They aren't trying to pretend they, that they're something the world around them would like them to be. No, they're clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. They belong to the day and they're living in the light and you can see it. And I want us this morning as we finish to be very practical and ask how. How are we to do that? How are we to be like that? How do we put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light? What's that going to look like for you and me day by day? What Paul doesn't say is grit your teeth and try harder. Look what he does say. Verse 14. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Change how you think, says Paul. As long as you let your mind dwell on something ungodly, you're just feeding it. Now, some people say to me, and probably to you, I can't help what I think, can I? Well, it's not true. It just isn't. You can help what you think. Here in Romans 13, Paul is telling us what not to think about. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And in Philippians, Paul tells us what we should think about. Here it is. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, displace the bad thoughts with godly thoughts. Don't think about these things. Think about these things. Back in Romans 12, Paul put it like this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There was a, a minister in Scotland in the 19th century called Thomas Chalmers, and he preached a sermon entitled, The Power of an Expulsive Affection. You can read it online, but in there he said, how is it possible to stop loving the world? Nobody can dispossess the heart of an old affection, but by the expulsive power of a new one. I will always love the world until I truly grasp that Christ is better. And it goes on, the best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline. No, Christians overcome the world by seeing the beauty and excellence of Christ. They overcome the world by seeing something more attractive than the world. 
Jesus. So making time to read God's word and praying day by day, they help us with this. That fills our mind with the right things. That's our armor. Paul calls it the armor of light. And when we neglect that, our defenses are down and we're likely to end up in the dark. Like a soldier arriving in the battlefield in his pajamas, as if he was still in bed. The sinful nature, Paul calls it the flesh in verse 14, it's still in us as Christians. And we're stuck with it until we finally arrive in glory. But we don't have to go along with it. We don't have to make room for it in our thinking. I read a story about an Eskimo, a man, an Eskimo fisherman, and he used to come down to town every Saturday, and he always brought his two dogs with him. One was a white dog, one was a black dog, and he taught them to fight on command. And every Saturday afternoon in the town square, the people would gather and these two dogs would fight and the Eskimo would take bets. And one Saturday the white dog would win and another Saturday the black dog would win. But the Eskimo always won. And eventually his friends asked him how he did it. And he explained. He said, I starve one dog and feed the other. And the one I feed always wins because he's stronger. Now listen, listen. We can feed sin in our lives. Or we can feed righteousness. They feed on our thinking. Thinking about how to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh makes the sinful nature stronger. Don't feed it. Starve it out. Thinking about what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us feeds our relationship with God. The secret of right living is right thinking. Be renewed by transformation of your minds. The battle against sin is won in our minds. Thank God that once we're saved, the Holy Spirit is changing our thinking. We read back a few weeks ago at the beginning of Romans 12, do not confirm any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're a Christian you belong to the day, don't live in the night. You belong to the light, live in the light. God's word to us this morning is, is wake up. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Remember what time it is. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Jesus could return at any moment. Jesus could return, could return today. John Blanchard has written this. The day when Jesus returns to the earth will begin like any other day and end like no other day. Thousands of people will be born, thousands of people will get married, and thousands die. Some will fall in love, others will get divorced. Some will get promoted, others will be made redundant. Some will be admitted to hospital, others will be discharged. It will be a day when some women will discover they are pregnant and others decide to have an abortion. It will be a day when life on earth goes on as usual and during which it will end forever. Remember what time it is. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light.
Let's take a moment of quiet to think and pray, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that while the world is still in darkness, we as Christians are children of light. Please help us to cooperate with your Holy Spirit, renewing our minds. Please help us to focus our thoughts on what is good and right and pure and good and lovely and to shut out of our minds the desires of the sinful nature. Please help us to do that so that we may live as children of light and others may see that. Father, thank you for the sure and certain hope we have that our citizenship is in heaven. Help us to live as children of heaven, as children of the light, as we make our way through this world for your glory. Amen.